The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. If I preach longer than what you guys are used to, that'll be Jim's fault. He said I could go as long as I wanted to, so you guys can take him out and stone him later. Tonight, we'll spend most of our time in the book of John, so if you would be locating the book of John, in him we're hated by the world. It's very challenging to me because it makes me think about how I can work harder, I can do better, And what that gets down to, really, when you really look at it, it gets down to more of loving Jesus more and sacrificing more of myself so that others can have the opportunity to hear the Word. Uh, Before I went to preaching school, I met um, Garland Elkins here, I believe. When was that, Jim? Do you remember by chance when he came here? No idea. Garland Elkins was an instructor at Memphis School of Preaching, and I met him here, I guess maybe the first time my dad was with me. I don't remember if my mom was here or what, but anyhow, after it was over, he took us out in the parking lot and opened up his trunk on his car, and guess what he showed us? Does anybody have an idea? Bible tracks. (laughs) And he used to teach us guys in school, you take those tracks and give them to people, and he would say, I know people are going to throw them away, but at least you gave them the opportunity, you know. And that's the way we need to think. And even handing someone a track, it might end up that they hate you for that. That may be crazy to think about, but that could happen uh, because of who Jesus is and because of who we are. I want to begin by defining what it means to be hated by the world by referencing Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Remember the great Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus said, Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, Blessed are you when people persecute you and revile you and speak all kind of evil things against you. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that means when we are treated poorly because we're serving not God, not because we're being purposely offensive, but because we're being passionately obsessive with God's Word. We're... We, we're, we're wanting to glorify God by teaching people His Word, and we're wanting people to see the truth, people will persecute us for that in different ways. But as I read through the New Testament, you may feel this way too, I think the more honest I strive to be. I'm somewhat disconnected from the New Testament. There's so much in there about being persecuted. And I'm like, well, I ain't never been persecuted. But the more I think about being mistreated being ostracized, being talked about, negative things being said. And I realize that there are a wide range, or there is a wide range of things that could come under the heading of being persecuted. Well, I I have been persecuted. And probably most all, if not all of you, have been persecuted also. In varying degrees and in different ways, right? Right? This means yes. If you want to say yes with your head, you can. That won't distract me. And so it is that like as children of God, when we're serving God and we're trying to do what is right, people are going to treat us wrong for it. And Jesus said, number one, he said, look, he said, that's the way they did God's people in times past. Number one, you need to know your your reward in heaven is great. That should be your motivation. And number two, you're in good company. (laughs) That's the way God's people have been treated always. So when we're treated poorly, we don't need to say, why me, why me, why me, and wonder why it's so weird. It's not so weird. God's people have often been mistreated throughout time. But to help us to appreciate what it means to be hated by by the world when we're in Him, when we're in Christ, we acknowledge, first of all, that that means we're in Christ. We've obeyed that form of doctrine from the heart. And maybe I'll mention that again at the very end. We are children of God. We are in Christ now. And we're hated by the world because we're in Him. But I want us to just keep in mind that I'm not talking about the ordinary trials that are common to every people in the world. Oftentimes, I have thought in the past, and I've heard good brethren think or say, of course, I didn't know they were thinking it until they told me, I'm persecuted, I'm having hardships, I'm sick, my mama died, I lost a child. 
Those are sad tragedies. But that is not being persecuted for righteousness sake. And that's not belittling those trials. We just need to know there's a difference. Are we fully aware that atheists, their mothers die of cancer? <laughs> their little babies die in the womb. They go through financial hardships and marital troubles and their loved ones die. That's not unique to us as Christians. But what is unique is when we are doing what's right and people mistreat us because we're doing what is right. And that's the great challenge that's unique to children of God. There, the word hate, hates and hated are found about eight times in the book of John. And I want us to briefly look at each of them and then we will build upon them. Beginning, I said whatever a minute ago and I meant John chapter 3 if I didn't get that. I think I said John. Let's look together at John chapter 3, verse 20 first. We'll read each of these. And if you get tired of turning, write it down, just listen. But I'm going to try to stick with just the book of John. Might be quite a bit of turning in John, but we're going to stay in John. John chapter 3, verse 20. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. There's the word hate. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Now go with me to chapter 7, verse 7. John 7, verse 7. Jesus is walking in Galilee. His brothers don't believe in his true identity. He says to them, my time, verse 6, has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. And he tells them why. Because I testify of it that its works are evil. Now chapter 12, verse 25. John chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus says, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world, there's the word hate, he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now chapter 15, keep going with me. Chapter 15, beginning with verse 18. Jesus speaking to the apostles in the, what we call the Last Supper. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. There's the word hated. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, because I chose you or but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father. Verse 25, But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in the law or in their law. They hated me. A lot of, a lot of hate in the book of John. <laughs> and I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way. They hated me without cause. Now one more that I think will kind of serve as a foundation for this whole thing. John 17, verse 14. I'll reference other passages, but these are the ones that I want to read and have in our mind as we begin. John 17, verse 14. Again, in the same setting where Jesus is speaking to the apostles in the Last Supper, in the Passover meal, the night in which he would be betrayed. Verse number 14 I have given them, that would be the apostles, your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Truly, we've got to get this in our minds as we begin. If we serve the Lord, if we reflect the Lord, and the world hated Him, it's going to hate us. Jesus was the most loving person that ever lived. The wisest person that ever lived. He always did what was right at the right time. He always said the right thing in the right circumstance. You ever worried about not saying the right thing at the right time? And later, you know, hindsight, you're like, I wish I'd have said this. Jesus always said what was right. He never sinned. And yet there were people on no less than eight occasions I gathered from this study. Eight times there were individuals who tried to murder him. Wow! What's wrong with these people? 
the most loving person that ever lived. And how often do I hear people in the religious world speak of Jesus being loving? And they're right. He is loving. <laughs> Maybe they have the wrong definition, but he is loving. And when someone says, Aaron, you need to be more loving like Jesus, you know what I say? I agree. I do need to be more loving like Jesus. But does the person who thinks that, when the truth is taught, realize what happened to the most loving person that's ever lived? Let's put that in perspective. There were people that actually murdered the most loving person that's ever lived. The perfect example. And that's, you know, that's a real, that's a newsflash to some people. Probably not to any of you. But that's the reality of who Jesus is and who he was. And I want us to consider as we begin, Jesus, why was he so hated? First, I don't think that he was hated because he was so nice. There are some people who have replaced the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with be nice. There's not a verse that commands us to be nice. I'm not aware of one. Somebody says, well, the Bible says to be kind. It does, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. We ought to read that word and study that word. It means to be useful, to be beneficial. It doesn't mean to skirt the issues. It doesn't mean that we don't teach the truth. Because if we did, somebody might perceive it as not being nice. No. People need to see that we care for them. There's no doubt about that. They don't need to think, man, this guy, he is purposely offensive. But they need to see the power of God. They need to see the power of the gospel. And when the gospel's taught, there are going to be people who will be offended. I don't think Jesus was hated because he was so nice. But I also don't think that he was hated because he was so mean. I don't think Jesus was mean, and I don't think anybody in here would either. I don't think they hated him because he was so mean. You know, there are some people that are so mean. They really are, and that's why people hate them. They are so mean. That's not why Jesus was hated. He wasn't hated because he was mean. Well, why was he hated? Let's consider together again, back to John chapter 3. Why was he hated? That's the first main idea I want us to consider. Chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. I think he was just using the book of John tonight. We could go to other places. There's 66 books and there's 27 in the new. We could go everywhere and you'd lose where we are. So maybe we'd help him stay with John somewhere. It'll help. I think the world hated him because he was the light and darkness hates the light. It, it's that simple. It's not complicated. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, will but have the light of life. Remember John 8, 12. It's not complicated. That's why there were people who hated Jesus. No doubt there were people who loved him. And there were even more people uh, that were just curiosity seekers than did hate him and love him. <laughs> A lot of the people that followed Jesus, they were just curiosity seekers. And as he taught certain things, they started different ones hating him for those things that he taught. And it kind of, kind of thinned the crowds out, you know. Which has convinced me that Jesus, he never has wanted a, just mere numbers. Instead, he wants dedicated disciples. People who are loyal to him, who are following his word, who are walking daily after the truth. And I think that's why people hated him. Because they saw that and that commitment that he required. And we'll talk about that. But just the fact that he is the light. And darkness hates light. We read it a moment ago. Let's look at the whole thing. John 3, 18 through 21. Jesus said, He who continues to believe in him, is the idea, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So they were involved in wicked things, just like you and I were before we became Christians. And we liked those things. 
there was a perceived benefit from doing those things. We, we enjoyed them. We liked them. Verse 20, everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So people that are condemned, they're condemned because they love the darkness and evil deeds. And instead of choosing what is right, they choose darkness because they want that. They like those deeds. People who practice evil, verse 20, despise the openness and the frankness of the light. You know the little illustration. I don't know if I can mess this one up, honey, so don't worry. When I say illustration, I don't know why I say, uh-oh, because sometimes I'm not good at those illustrations. But you know what it's like to be asleep, and a little light comes on, and it's just enough to bother the eyes. <laughs> you know what we do. We go, ah, we, we, we close our eyes, we turn our heads, and the brighter the light shines, no matter how dark it is, I guess I should say it this way, the darker it is, the brighter that little light shines, the, the brighter it is. And if we're not in need of seeing where we're going or, do, or seeing what we're doing, then we're going to want that light to go off. We know that with sleeping. Turn, that, turn the light off. I'm trying to sleep. You know what it's like. Most people don't like to sleep with lights on, not for very long. And so, you know, throughout Scripture, you got darkness as a symbol of sin and wickedness and error and false doctrine, and, and light exposes that darkness. And so I think that's a basic fundamental reason why Jesus was hated. He is the light. He, he doesn't merely reflect it as we do. He is the light. And those that prefer sin, that like the sin, and the perceived benefits, they avoid that light because the truth reveals the true nature of that sin and that wickedness. You see, that's the lie that Satan gets the world in. Thinking something different about sin than what God says it is. And he tricks us into thinking that without the knowledge of God's Word or without the desire to do what we know God's Word says. Those that love the truth, though, they seek out the light. Verse 21. And they, well, they live an ordered life. And they do that because they know it's pleasing to God. And they're not ashamed of the way they walk. They're not ashamed of their conduct because they know that their deeds are approved by God. Verse 21. He who does the truth comes to the light. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He, he is the truth. He taught the truth. He lived the truth. And so because of that, there were people that hated him for that. Very simple, yet very basic and profound to all of reality. Light and darkness. I'm minded about Isaiah's day, how Isaiah, through God through Isaiah, you know, he pronounced the woe on those that call evil good and, 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 and good evil. And perhaps that's what the persecution we're dealing with now is. When we teach the truth, the world is trying to make us out to be the people who are hateful. When in all reality, they are the ones that hate Jesus and the truth that Jesus is. But the second idea, John chapter 7, verse 7, I want to continue. Why was Jesus so hated? Because he testified, he preached, that their works are evil. And you know, not merely was he the truth, but he taught the truth. And he was hated for that. John chapter 7, verse 7 he said, The world cannot hate you. And this, I think, in the context there of his brothers and his family. Others would learn from this, just like we are now. My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Where people get off thinking that Jesus didn't ever say anything that offended anybody, I don't know. Like, like Jesus is just some blind grandpa that just handed out candy all the time and he's... He didn't have any, you know, commands of repentance or change or anything that would mold a person's life like deny yourself and make decisions that may be difficult but that I require of you. Jesus testified that the world and their works is evil. And there are some statements in John that he made like the word unless, King James, except you. Unless, consider a couple of those statements. First, John chapter 3, verse 3. You don't have to turn there for time, but we know what John 3, 3 is. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, he said, unless you're what? Born 
again. You can't see the kingdom of God. And, and then he particularized what that birth is by being born of water and the Spirit. And you know, when you look at John chapter 1 about being born of, not of the will of the flesh, but the will of God, and chapter 3 with John baptizing, John the baptizer, and then John chapter 4 baptizing people in water, you get the clear contextual picture. He's speaking about being baptized in water according to the teachings of the Spirit. I don't think it's as complicated as some people try to make it out to be. But by Jesus saying, unless you do this, He's testifying to the world that, hey, unless you do this, you're lost. And I don't know what it is, but in some ways, Satan has us thinking that if we teach people what Jesus said, unless that we're doing something bad, we're doing something wrong. Jesus also said, John chapter 6, we might not be as familiar with this one, verses 53 and 66 Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And then he, he told them what he was talking about. He said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. He's not saying you need to literally eat his body and eat his blood. If it was, we're all damned because that happened 2,000 years ago. We can't eat of his literal body and his little blood. And incidentally, that is not a reference to the Lord's Supper. It's a reference to individuals partaking of Jesus and the totality of his truth. Partake of me. Come to me. You have to partake. If you don't, you'll die. You can't live. And so again, by saying that, by saying, I am the bread of life in the context of Israelites whose ancestors had had the bread from heaven. How would people who didn't want the truth perceive that? Wow, look at the way he's putting himself up as someone so important. Well, he did because he was. And is. I am the bread of life, he said. You must partake of me. And unless you do that, you don't have life in you. And I declare just from the book of John to you tonight, that is one of the ways that he testified that the world was sin. Think about that. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter it, verse 5. Unless you eat and partake of me, you don't have life in you. That means he was testifying to them that they were outside of God and they were without spiritual life without Him. You know, the way Jesus taught, we can, we can, we can make some conclusions. We can, we, can, we, can, we can necessarily infer. We can necessarily draw the conclusions from what He said, the statements that He made. Let's consider some of them. We're familiar with these. John 6, 35, man, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Think about the impact of that. Think about the great men and, and, and the wisdom of the world. And, and, and quite a bit of it's good because it coincides with truth of God. And, and the wisdom that has been available to mankind through certain individuals in the world. The things that we've learned in medicine and other things. And, and the light, you might say, that, that that sheds and that shines on what we need and the way it benefits us. But Jesus says, I am the light. I am the light. I'm not a light. I'm the light. I'm not a bread from heaven. I am the bread. John 10, 7 and 9. I am the door. I'm not a door. There may be many perceived doors, but I'm the door. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. And I'd like to think David was a good shepherd in the Old Testament. I'd like to think he was. I don't think he was a terrible one. I know he made some mistakes, but overall he was good. Jesus, and I'd like to think David was a good shepherd in the Old Testament. I'd like to think he was. I don't think he was a terrible one. I know he made some mistakes, but overall he was good. Jesus, I'm the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're familiar with that. Think about the impact of that, the import of that. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That is testifying that others are not. <laughs> the rabbis, the scribes, the chief priests, all the people that the people of his day would have seen as being, wow, they're the go-to. These are the people that have the prominence. And the same concept is true today. 
the TV evangelists that fly their big jets. And it's not a sin to fly on a jet, but you know the people that are out there spewing error. And yet they're perceived by many in the world as being, these are people of God. Jesus said, no, I'm the, I'm the man of God, Jesus says. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm the true vine, John 15. But we can't, we can't exist spiritually apart from him. Without him, we're dead spiritually. There are three events that you might call a crisis recorded in the book of John. When the multitudes left Jesus, I already referenced it in John chapter 6. I didn't mention verse 66. Most of us, if not all of us, know this. Remember, many of them turned away and did what? Walk with him, what? No more. That was a crisis event. <laughs> because just before that, verse 15, they'd wanted to make him a king. Yet on that occasion, after he teaches the truth they need to hear, what do they do? Nearly all of them. They leave. Isn't that interesting? We want you to be a king. <laughs> a little while later, he teaches and testifies to the world of their sin and their need for him as the bread of life, and most of them walk away. We know what most people do today with that. We'll, just, we'll come back. We'll change our stance. I found a commentary that agrees with what you want. There's a famous preacher, even in the Church of Christ, that says A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And now I believe what he wrote. So we'll change our view. Come back. That was a crisis event. And Jesus, Jesus knew the kind of king that he was supposed to be. And people hated him for it. When the people refused to believe Jesus, John chapter 12. Remember John chapter 12? They refused to believe him. There were many that would not confess him. I may reference this again in a moment, but look at John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And here's why. They loved the praise and honor of men more than the praise or honor of God. Wow. So the people refused to believe and confess him. They hailed him as king even in John 12 but then they rejected him as king. There are people that, that claim to rejoice that Jesus is their king. But then when they hear things that Jesus taught, they reject him as king. I mean, it's just the same stuff going on over and over. I think the third crisis was when Jesus was being crucified, John chapter 19, when the rulers said to Pilate, we have no king but who? Caesar. Just think about that. Of all the people that hated Caesar, I just don't know of many more people in the world at that time, if any, who would have hated Caesar more than the Jews. They just, he was an absolute disgust to them in every way. And they were willing to side with Caesar, at least audibly so they could get rid of Jesus. That means they hated Jesus a little more. Isn't that, that's kind of over the top, isn't it? They hated him for that because, yes, he did proclaim to be king. He did teach that truth. But another reason, John chapter 12, verse 25, the same opening if you're at John 12, one of the reasons, and there are many, but these are just some from John, that I think Jesus is hated is because he demands people to die to themselves and to lose their life for him. And that obviously doesn't always mean dying a martyr's death, right? It means dying to our own desires where our desire becomes what he desires. To die to self, to, like Paul wrote, you know, to be crucified with Christ, Roman, uh, Galatians 2.20, nevertheless I live. It's not I who live. Christ lives in me. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. One old preacher, he used to say, if you'd cut Paul open, he would bleed Jesus, you know. And that's true. And Paul wasn't the only one. There were others who loved the Lord then, just like now, and they were persecuted for it. Jesus demands, John 12, verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world We'll keep it for eternal life. Obviously, Jesus is speaking of making decisions. He's not saying, now, what I want you to do is, is go kill yourself so you'll lose your life. 
And uh, I want you to hate your life. I want you to look in the mirror and say, I, you know, I hate my life. My life is no good and my life is, there's no point in me even living. Obviously, that's not what Jesus, he's talking about making decisions to give your life to him, to live for him, to hate our life in that respect. And instead to live for him and to think like he thought, Philippians 2. So these are some of the reasons. I feel like I could go on and on. I'm sure you're thinking of some others. I hope that doesn't hurt you when I don't talk about more of them. But I want to move forward. What determines if we are hated or not hated by the world? Again, there are some things from John that I want us to consider. Back to John chapter 7, verse 13. The first of these, what determines? We've just looked at a few reasons why Jesus was hated. What determines if we are hated or not hated by the world? Because in John 15, he said that we would be hated like the apostles would be hated because of the word that he had given them. First, I want us to consider before we look at why we might be hated like Jesus was, I want us to consider why we won't be hated. The, the old preachers used to do that. Y'all remember that? <laughs> The old preacher used to say, this is the truth, A, B, C, D, and here is not the truth. <laughs> they make it real clear and real crystal. And, and I feel like the more I study the Bible, that is so important for me as a, as a teacher of God's Word. I don't want people to walk away going, what was he talking about? I'm just not sure. I need to know what I'm teaching, and I need to believe what I'm teaching, and then I need others to understand, hey, this is what God says. Well, there are some things that we might do or not do that would result in us not being hated, and it wouldn't be a good thing. John chapter 7, verse 13, at that same feast where Jesus had made the statement about how he testified of the world that their works are evil, and that's why people hated him. John says, John 7, 13, however, after some were saying he's good, no, he's not good, is he the Messiah, is he the prophet, and so forth. However, John said, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. And so, you know, if we are fearful, and I'm becoming increasingly convinced about my own life and the life of my brethren that I meet, the biggest reason why we are not more involved in the work of God is because of fear. And we've got to grow on that thing. We've got to get better at that. We need a biblical pep rally. We need to get stronger. We need to work together because if persecution gets any worse than now, perhaps most members of the church will fall away like flies, like dead flies. We don't want that. The Lord wants you and me to learn how to grow in our strength and our conviction, to be bold and courageous, not be afraid. You know, it's easy to say, well, if somebody came in right now and Christian, you can get over there, and you're not a Christian, you know, there, we'll kill you if you are. I've heard that all my life. Will we live for Him? It's easy to say, well, I'll die for Jesus. But if we're not living for Him, we won't die for Him. We won't. So we don't want to be like that. I want to believe the best about myself and you too. We want to die for the Lord if necessary. We want to confess His name. We want people to see the power of the gospel so that others can be saved. And that requires that we are not fearful and that we confess Him and not conceal Him, but instead confess. John chapter 9, I don't have time, but if you want to turn there, you can. But you know, John 9, you remember the man that was blind and the deal with his parents. I don't know if any of you have read that lately, but boy, those parents really threw that dude under the bus, didn't they? They equivocated. They didn't technically lie that I can tell. They equivocated the truth, which was not good for the purpose they did it. They did it for fear and because they didn't want to confess Christ. I think it could also be said the truth that they weren't actually there when Jesus healed him so they could actually say, we do not know by observation who did it. So they equivocated <laughs> and they got out of it. They threw him out of the back. Ask him! <laughs> They were hiding behind equivocation. But the purpose for which they did it was not like equivocation if my seven-year-old daughter asked me a question and she does not need to know all the information at that time. <laughs> That's different. 
I don't have to lie to her. I just don't have to tell her everything that she doesn't need to know at that moment. That's not wrong. But to equivocate, to hide behind equivocation because of fear, because we're not willing to confess, especially when we know that's different. That's not right. And if we do that, we're not going to be persecuted. We are not going to be persecuted. We're not going to be hated because we're hiding behind fear. And we just blend in, as we say. But the blind man that was healed, in spite of the persecution and the way he was questioning everything, if you follow that narrative very closely, each time what he says about Jesus grows. He starts out, I think he's a prophet, and then it goes on and on, and Jesus appears to him later. And he said, who, you know, he asked Jesus, who is, who is the Messiah that I might believe? And he's like, it's me, you know. And he's like, I believe, Lord, I believe. His faith grew. It grew by leaps and bounds, even though he was being persecuted. So that's just one of many records of account there that would remind us that just ordinary folk like you and me, we can grow in strength. We can. We can be afraid. We can be scared to start with, but we can grow. We can be stronger. We can get to the point where we don't hide behind anything. We're not fearful. We can grow in our strength and our faith in Him, our trust in God. I mentioned John chapter 12. I think this is, again, another, you know, what determines if we're hated or not. To the crowd who would not confess Him because they, you remember, they love the praise of what? Men more than the praise or honor of who? What they were doing was guarding their own self-interest against opposition. (laughs) And that's related to the fear of persecution. Now, Jesus used discretion, and I thought about this a lot in presenting this lesson. Jesus used discretion. If I know that the governor of Alabama says, if a Christian comes to my office, I will shoot them with a thousand bullets, I don't think I have to go talk to him tonight. You know, you know what I mean? And that don't mean that, that, that I don't want to confess Jesus. I think we can be strategic. I think we can try to be wise. But what I know we can't do is we can't deny Christ. When the opportunity arises, you know, I think about the parable of the talents. As we have opportunity and as we have the ability, we're responsible. And we can't deny the Lord. We can't withhold the Lord's name. Those that hate their lives by confessing Jesus like Jesus said in John 12, they bear the shame of of being condemned, of being ostracized, of being hated. But Jesus said they're going to receive eternal life. And that's what we want. So, to receive God's praise, to receive His honor, we must honor Him. We must confess Him. I know you've heard this from this pulpit. A lot of good preaching from this pulpit, I'm sure. To confess means to say the same thing. So if we say the same thing about Jesus that God says about Him, what will we say about Jesus? That He is who? That He's the Son of God. That He is the Messiah the Savior of the world, and that He's the only way to God. You know, in our day and time, you don't even have to talk about baptism to get folks mad at you. You don't. Just teach people, no, Jesus is the only way, not Buddha, not Allah, not Muhammad, not Joel Osteen, not Aaron Dodson, only Jesus. People not like you for that. I was preaching... At Weaver. And I had a man stand up and holler and scream at me while I was preaching those kinds of truths. And I wasn't even screaming. I mean, he was belligerent. Said I was mean and ugly and judgmental. But yet there's millions of people who are following those folks and they need to know, hey, Jesus is the truth. Not them, not me. Again, if we don't confess him, and that goes with all that he taught, We won't be hated. We'll just blend in. We'll just be like everybody else. We won't be hated. There are some additional ideas I want to go on with this. You remember Acts 2, 46 and 47, the day the church was established, it says, in praising God and having favor with all the people. If we're not being persecuted for doing what is right, it's possible that we are in a time of favor. But that time of favor did not last very long for the early church, did it? It is possible to be teaching the whole truth and you be in a time of favor. But generally, I mean, that thing's going to be kind of short. It ain't going to be very long. So I wonder about people that I hear 
saying things about preachers and religious leaders. Oh, everybody loves him. Everybody in the community. I'm thinking, not everybody in the community loves Jesus. What's this guy doing? And Jesus always did it right. Right? Yeah. It may be that that guy's not doing it right. It may be that I'm not doing it all the way right. Something ain't right. <laughs> Something ain't right if we aren't ever persecuted. If we're never hated, something's not right. We just got to get that in our minds. That doesn't mean we go out and we start punching people and throwing rocks at people and calling people names and acting stupid. No. You can be as calm and collective. You can be as bold and tender with people and people, some, some are going to speak evil against you. They're going to call you a cult leader. That's my new favorite one and I'm saying that tongue in cheek. I've been called that multiple times. Oh, wow, that's terrible, isn't it, Aaron? No, nothing like what the Lord and others went through. Maybe some of you have been called that. You're just trying to teach the truth. Oh, you're just a, you're just a cult leader. You just brainwash your people. Okay. Well, it could be that we're in a time of favor, if that's why we're not being persecuted. But here's something else that I want us to face tonight. And that is... It could be that we're not being persecuted because we are literally not in the world. Now, we know we're not to be of the world, right? We're not to be of it. And we understand that to mean we're not of the world system. We don't live and think and act the way the world does. We know that. We believe that. And we strive to practice that. But it is certainly possible, especially in the day in which we live, it could happen then and it can happen now, that we are not being hated because we are literally not in the world. We're not around the world. We get so tired of people in the world, we get so put out by people in the world that we pretty much, we don't say it, but mentally we've kind of written them off and judged they're not worthy and we don't spend much time with them. And so nobody hates us, you know, because we're just kind of going to work, being quiet, going home, being quiet, watching TV, go to bed, get up and do it again. That's not good. We're not hated because we're not in the world. Again, I didn't say of it. We're just not in it. We're just avoiding it. And I know there's some people, again, we have to use discretion. There's some people we got to avoid. I know that. I've learned that in my little short time of life. But we can't live a life apart from the world. So to give us a peaceful life, that's just not right. We've got to be in the world but not of it. And so what that does is that brings hatred and persecution with it. It can also be the case, remember John 15, if you want to look there again very quickly. John chapter 15, it could be that we are not persecuted because we are of the world. That's why we're not being persecuted. I say that's why we're not. If we're living like the world we will not be persecuted for righteousness sake. And if we try to play like we are righteous and we're not, the world sees that and they find that, they don't find that humorous, they find it very annoying, very unattractive. And it makes their anger toward the church grow more. Just in recent months, just through the internet, I have gotten outside of the, and I'm about to use accommodative language, I have gotten outside of the Church of Christ bubble on the internet. And oh, at the slanderous things that are said over simple truths, the ugly, defiling, negative things that are said about the truth. But you know, and the internet is not the only way to live. I would never suggest that. But in our own lives, in real life, and on real life on the internet, if we just go along, if we think we're always waiting for the perfect opportunity to tell someone about Jesus or about this certain truth, we're not, we're not going to be persecuted. And John 15, Jesus teaches that concept when he says, John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. So if the world loves us, that means we're of the world. We may go to the church building Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for a hundred years. But if we look like the world and otherwise, well, we're, the world will love us. 
Yet Jesus said, because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So because we're not like the world, the people of the world system hates us like they did Jesus. So again, if we're of the world and living like the world, we will not be hated. And that's a test for us, I think. But also, again, if we go and we publicly confess Jesus and our lives to unbelievers, I am convinced we will be hated. As was Jesus. Think about Peter, John, Paul, all these great and loving people. John records about Joseph of Arimathea and John 19 as a secret disciple. And I don't know if that was sinful or if he was just being strategic. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to play the judge. But here's what I know. Jesus' death was a very public thing. And when Jesus was hanging dead on the cross, Joseph, we say, he went public. He went and got the body of Jesus. Now I would love to think Joseph got baptized on the day of Pentecost if he had not already been baptized by John. I'd love to think that. I don't know. But here's what I know. If he did continue on in following Jesus, he'd get hated for it. Somebody would bring that up. Yeah, that's the guy that got Jesus off the cross. That's the guy that buried him in the new tomb, his own tomb, and on and on and on. He went public and gave God the glory. There are some ways that I think we need to consider about how we might be unnecessarily persecuted. This is a, this is a side of this we need to think about. I think of Matthew 7, verse 12, or excuse me, verse 6, Jesus said that we're not to give what is holy to the dogs. We're not to cast pearls, that which is valuable, before the swine. That means we have to use good judgment. We are to pray for wisdom, James 1, 5. And we have to exercise our discernment. And when we come across those individuals, we don't treat them poorly. We just learn there are other people that need the gospel as well. And I'm not going to give what is holy to them. We cast the seed. We let them have an opportunity. If they immediately reject it, we move forward. I think of 1 Peter chapter 2 where how the Gentiles who are the Gentile Christians who are being persecuted throughout the world of Peter's day... Uh, they, were, they were told, you know, watch your conduct. <laughs> the world is watching. And so, we don't need to be people who get unnecessary persecution because maybe like we're messing with somebody we shouldn't. You know, we're just messing with somebody and we know we just leave them alone. They've already said, I don't want a Bible study. I don't care about God. I don't care what you say. I want you to respect my space. Okay? It's not denying Christ to move forward. It's not being a weasel or a noodle spine to move forward. You, you, you got to go. You got to keep moving. Jesus taught these kinds of concepts when he said, shake the dust off your feet, go on to the next city. But it could be also that we are persecuted, we're hated unnecessarily because we bring undue attention upon ourselves. Again, not from doing right, but from doing things without much thought, being careless. And so we get persecuted. And unfortunately, there have been times that I think I have been mistreated and it was my own fault. It was because I was acting foolishly. I said something without giving it any thought. And so I got some, you know, I got some heat. I got some pushback. I thought later, I thought, why did I, I shouldn't have did this. And that wasn't me saying, well, I don't need to teach the truth. No, it was just, hey, I didn't think this thing through. I didn't give much thought to it. We certainly don't want to bring unnecessary persecution on ourselves because we're trying to win an argument. And sadly, there have been brethren like that. And I know that because I hear that from the world. They've been mistreated by brethren who are just arguing with them for the sake of arguing. We don't, we don't want to be those kinds of people. Instead, when we're persecuted, we want it to be because we were doing what was right. Now, let's keep going. <clears throat> John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I'm starting to try to draw this thing to a close. Here are some ways that we can overcome being hated by the world. In the same context of Jesus saying, you know, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be hated. He says it's the apostles. The concept is true of us. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours, verse 20. And then chapter 16, verse 1, he gives what I'm going to call one of the ways that we can overcome being hated by the world. Because I, I don't like being hated by the world. It's not something I just want to go out and live my life so that people will hate me. 
I don't think anyone here strives to live their life that way so that people will hate them. We want, we want to live in a way to please and honor and glorify God and to reach the lost, but that results in some people hating us. So how do we deal with it? Well, I just think the main key is this, learn to endure it. And here are some ways that we can do that through knowing certain truths. Verse 1, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. He says, I've told you this stuff about being hated so that you won't stumble when it happens. That means that as Christians, we've got to accept this gladly. That following Jesus, as Jesus said, we will be hated as he was hated. So we looked at some of the reasons why Jesus was hated. So the reason why we're hated is because of the same reasons, in effect, the same ideas, standing for the same truths that Jesus taught. We're not the light, we're not the way, we're not the truth, but we follow the way, the life, the truth. And when we proclaim the way, the life, the truth, etc., then others, there are some who will hate that, they will mistreat us. So we need to know ahead of time that persecution will come. And that, that, a lot of that is dependent upon teachers and evangelists. When we're teaching people to become Christians, we don't need to be painting a picture like life will be easy or everything will be rosy or that once you're baptized, that's basically it. You know, you can come to church when you can and if you want to and if somebody mistreats you, well, I forgot to mention that, you know. No, we need to mention it. When people are following Christ, you know, hey, just like they were mistreated, we could be mistreated too. Know ahead of time. And John 16, verse 2, they were to know the cost. And essentially he says this, you're, you're going to be ostracized and even killed. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. In our life, we are going to be ostracized for standing for truth. People are going to, even now, they're going to call us names. They're going to hurt us in business deals. They're going to avoid us in business deals. They are going to tell other partners at work, don't mess with him, don't talk to him. He thinks he's the only one going to heaven. He thinks he knows everything, no matter how gentle you are with them. If you teach them the whole truth, there will be people who will hate you for that. They will treat you poorly for that. Jesus says, know the cost to be ostracized, to be killed. Verses 2 and 3, a third thing, know the reason why people are persecuting us. They're thinking that they're doing what is right. And I think even atheists do that. I do. I'm talking about those atheists that are real strong to really go out of their way to speak against, you know, freedom from religion group and stuff like that. Stuff like that, they, they, they think they're doing right, even though they don't believe in the one who is right. They believe they're doing right. They don't think they're doing wrong. They're not, you know, I'm doing this because I think this is wrong. I think this is stupid. That's why I'm doing it. No, that's not why they do it. They do it because they think that's the right thing to do. They think they're liberating the world from that which is evil. <laughs> so unbelievers are actually doing what they think is right. Isn't that something? It's kind of confusing to me, but it makes sense. I'm not sure why they do that. It's not good. There may be multiple reasons. We need to know also that it comes, the reason why we'll be persecuted is because there are people who don't know God. Jesus said that, verse 3. These things they'll do to you because they've not known the Father nor me. So when people mistreat us, instead of going, I can't stand that person. And we have to call 50 people we know. You know what they did to me? You know what they did to me? You know what they did to me? You know what they did? Like we're the only person that's ever been mistreated. Instead we can go, maybe hit a knee, pray. Okay, now I can call Jim. Now I, you, can call your friend. And in the back of the mind, they did that because they don't know God. That's why they did it. We need to not take it so personal. They did it because I'm short. Because my wife's taller than me. Because I'm overweight. Forget it. They did it because they don't know God. That's why they did it. If they knew God, they wouldn't do it. It's not that complicated. And then Jesus... Verse 4 said, know that I'm not tricking you about this matter. Verse 4, these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. <laughs> so when the time comes, you'll remember, I, I, to I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. 
So you knew ahead of time. That's why I'm becoming more convinced that when we're teaching people about becoming a Christian, they need to know what they're becoming. They're becoming a follower of Jesus, and that means the world won't like them. So maybe that will help when the world attacks and they won't fall away so quickly. Maybe that would help. Maybe. Maybe it would. I'd like to think it would. So to help us endure, we need to know that Jesus did not trick them, nor us. He never tricked us. So the next time you get mistreated, because you're, you're just doing what's right. Don't, when you feel this, that, I don't know why. Why did God let that happen? Next time, you, that's the devil. Okay? Next time you feel like that, no. Well, Jesus said this would happen. <laughs> My Lord said this would happen. He didn't trick me. He told me ahead of time. And then next, whatever it is, verses... Uh, Verse 33 of chapter 16, actually. Jesus said that we can have peace during tribulation. He said, you know, in the world you're going to have this tribulation, these hardships. But he says, you can have peace. You can be comforted. You can be of good cheer. The idea there of cheer, like you can, you can have victory in your hearts and in your mind. Because I've been victorious. And that's the way we need to think about our lives. Even through the hardships. And you know, the Lord won. I'm all bogged down. And Jesus already won. All i got to do is just follow him. Even if people don't listen, even if people hate me, I know I'm on the right track. And I'm not ashamed of my deeds, John 3, remember? Because I know I'm walking in the light. I know they're approved of God. I can have cheer. I can have victory because Jesus overcame the world. And also, chapter 17, this is the last of these, John 17, 11, we can overcome being hated by knowing that God can guard us from falling away. Verses 11 and 12 Perhaps some have focused so much on the truth that it is possible to sow sin and be lost that we have forgotten to talk about how no one can pluck us from God's hand. There is no one who can override us. I met an individual not long ago who was saying, oh, Satan can make you do stuff. And I was like, what verse would you... I mean, and there were a couple of verses referenced and I read them over and I'm like, it, but it doesn't say that. If we think that Jesus, or excuse me, Satan can make us do something, the same for Jesus, he can make us do things, wow, we're way outside of the Bible. We're in a whole other department, a whole other field. That's, we've missed it. No one can make us do anything. You know, I used to hear, all you got to do is pay taxes and die. And I came along and I thought I was so wise and I said, no, you ain't got to pay taxes. <laughs> you can go to jail. You don't have to pay taxes, but I guess you got to die. And then I thought, well, no, you ain't got to die. If Jesus comes back, you ain't got to die. I thought I was so wise. It's about decisions that we make. And the decisions that we make are the ones we're going to be held accountable for, not what other people do to us. Let me close with this. Is it worth being hated by the world? In, in the long-winded sermon I've just done, I don't even feel like I've done enough justice to really get into that much. I think about the book of Job. And one thing I've been really impressed with about Job, Job believed all along God was worth serving. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a person, I serve God because He gives me good stuff. You know, and if I lose that stuff, I don't like God no more. I won't go to church services regularly anymore. I won't love Jesus in my heart and pray every day if I lose my house in a fire. I won't try to teach people the gospel if my mama gets cancer. Is, is God worth serving through the good and the bad, yay or nay? You know, Job was like, well, he didn't understand it. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. What an attitude. And it wasn't blind faith. He had evidence. And he made his own decisions. And we can be like that too. So again, is it worth being hated by the world? Here's three quick reasons to say yes. Yes, because number one, Jesus deserves it. Jesus deserves to be hated for his namesake. He does not deserve for us to pretend like we're loyal to him and we've given him our whole lives merely because we go to church services. It's got to be because He holds the sway of our heart 24 hours a day and when we know we're not doing what we should, 
Our conscience bothers us because we know the gospel and we do what the gospel says and we come back in the right direction. We all do it sometimes. This is not a slap us in the face. It's a reminder that the blood of Jesus is continually available. But if we just make excuses, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Is it worth being hated? Yes, because he deserves it. Yes, because it blesses others. When we are hated, and I see this happening, I am not a prophet. I'm a person who's trying to be very wise and calculate and look at the things around me. The way our society is now and playing that we are those that are hateful when we teach what is true, the more we stand by the truth and we serve faithfully, what it's going to do is it's going to bless others. Paul, when he was in prison, remember Philippians 1, verse 12 through 14, he basically said, you know, what has happened to me has turned out and it's blazed a trail and there's other people running down the trail behind me. They're following in my example. So those of us who will be loyal to Jesus, what that, what that does is it emboldens other Christians to be faithful to Him. We don't uphold people who are weasels and who give in and give out. I bet there have been times and opportunities where elders or preachers have stood up here and they've given a plaque to, some, to someone or they, they have said words of recognition. We don't recognize people who quit. We don't say, oh, we're so proud of brother so-and-so. He quit the faith ten years ago and yeah, he died away from God. We don't. No, we don't. That's so obvious. Because those that are faithful are the ones that embolden us. It's like, if they can do that, I can do that. Stephen's death, I do believe. You remember Acts 7? I do believe somehow, some way, his death helped to bring about the conversion of Saul. There are some details that I'd like to know that I'm not sure the Bible details on. But at some point in time, I'm thinking... Based on what Paul recounted about the blood of Stephen and so forth, I'm thinking that what happened to Stephen, it it bothered Saul. (laughs) And when Jesus, when he met Jesus on the road, Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. You know, the, the pricks, the goads, the sharp instrument, to get an animal in line to do what the person who had the authority to tell them what to do. I think the same concept is true of Christ. Christ has, as the creator of the world, as the savior of the world, the authority to tell us what to do. And here's what's so beneficial about this on our part. What he tells us to do is for our benefit. And if we perceive God's commandments, if we we perceive the gospel as, it's so hard, I don't like it. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. We're just like the world. We have missed the drawing power of the gospel, the death of Jesus. Need I remind myself and you, we voluntarily were baptized into Christ? I hope nobody put a literal gun to your head to get in the water. Nobody did that to me. I voluntarily devoted my life to Jesus. And so did many of you. And that includes being hated by the world. That's a big, bold sermon in the pulpit. But would Aaron do that out there? Would Aaron teach people that are lost? When my brethren say, boy, that was strong, I say, well, the people of the world need that just as much. There may be one person in your life you know right now that's not right with God. What are are you doing to reach them with the gospel? When's the last time we were hated for saying what was right? When was the last time somebody told you no to a Bible study? Was it today? Yesterday? A year ago? I'm going to tell you, I've hit myself right in the face. Really and honestly, if it wasn't today, then it wasn't soon enough. I mean, Jesus devoted his whole life. I can't say, well, now that I'm a Christian, I have this job, I have this family, I have this commitment. There's no commitment greater than Jesus. Everything is to arrange itself under our commitment to Jesus. Voluntarily. Not because somebody put a gun to our head. 
Not because somebody hated us into serving Jesus. Because we heard the gospel and we were changed. We were moved. Maybe someone's here tonight and something I have said from God's Word has watered something that's already been planted in your mind from your own study of God's Word. If so, and you're here tonight and you want to obey the gospel, you can obey that form of doctrine from the heart even tonight. You see, the gospel is simple. There are four fundamental facts to the gospel, not three. The death, the burial, the resurrection, and the appearances of His resurrected body. That validates His resurrection. And so we too can believe that message. We can obey that person. We can obey that event. We can be buried into the death of Jesus by faith in Jesus, changing our heart about sin, being baptized into Christ, rising to walk a new life, Romans 6.4, and we can then say, I obeyed from the heart that form of... There's only one way to obey the gospel in form, and that's obeying it from the heart. By believing in Jesus, repenting of your sins, being baptized into Christ to rise to walk a new life. If there's one person here tonight that hasn't done that, and they're ready to pledge their allegiance to Jesus. They could do that. You could do that tonight. And you'll, you won't regret it on the day of judgment. And furthermore, on the day of judgment, you won't be thinking, you know, Aaron preached at 8.15. <laughs> I won't walk away on the day of judgment going, I didn't do a good sermon. <laughs> I should have done better. I won't be thinking about that on the day of judgment. All that will matter is if, if I'm right with God. If you're right with God. If you're here as a child of God and you've wandered away, you've gotten discouraged, maybe you look at your life and think, you know what, <laughs> my life is peaceful. Maybe I'm not being persecuted. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Maybe it's because I'm not confessing Jesus like I need to. And here's the deal. We've got to get back to the motivation of what makes us confess Him. It's what Jesus has done for us. That's the motivating factor. If you've denied the Lord even through silence, you could repent of that sin as a child of God. Get back on track. Be restored. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. There's a song of invitation tonight like we always have. I love the invitation song. It's the time to think about God and the time to think about the gospel. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, but right now this is about us individually and, and Christ. If you're here and you need to respond, if there's a way that the church here can help you, respond and let someone here know before you leave. Let's stand together and let's sing.